0: It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, September 18th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. Up ahead, the California report covers Governor Gavin Newsom's announcement of a first in the nation climate bill. What exactly does a first in the nation climate bill look like? Details coming up. Then, National Native News investigates what's being done to address a concern all too familiar with much of our listening area. We've got your local news and weather forecast before KVMR's Felton Pruitt speaks with Maddie Davis, the Community Engagement Manager for the South Yuba River Citizens League. The organization hosts their 26th annual Yuba River Cleanup
1: this Saturday, September 23rd. This is the California Report. I'm Adi Bolaños in San Francisco. Governor Gavin Newsom is in New York City to help kick off Climate Week NYC. The
2: issues that define our time are being played out in extraordinary ways in the western United States, but notably in the state of California. So the question is, what the hell do we do about it?
1: At the event's opening ceremony on Sunday, Newsom announced his intention to sign a first-in-the-nation climate bill awaiting his approval back in California. CalMatters environment reporter Alejandro Lazo explains what the legislation would do.
3: This measure would force U.S. corporations doing business in California that make more than $1 billion a year to publicly disclose their annual greenhouse gas emissions. And not just emissions from their own operations, but also those from less direct sources including things like a company's supply chain and business travel. Business groups opposed to the bill argue that accounting for all of these extra emissions is unworkable and would likely lead to inaccurate reports. Supporters say that all of this output needs to be accounted for to get a full picture of corporate emissions. Backers hope increased transparency and publicity around which companies are the biggest emitters will motivate companies to take more action to reduce their carbon footprint.
1: That was Cal Matter's Alejandro Lasso. Over the weekend, the governor's office also announced California is suing major oil companies to hold them accountable for their role in climate change and its devastating impact on California. This week marks six months since powerful storms flooded the small farming community of Pajaro in Santa Cruz County after its aging levy system failed. Reporters at KAZU have been following the disaster since March. In the first story of this two-part series, Jeremiah Edding reports on the challenges of recovery and the difficult road still ahead.
3: Tomas Garcia walks me through his flood-damaged home. He and his family are staying with relatives outside of town while they work on repairs. Wow, so your house is empty. I mean, was this all just water damaged? Uh, The foundation. They recently replaced their floors. Most of their furniture is gone. The walls are bare. We wish we could have finished this uh, since two, three months ago. But we still need to do a lot of things. On a hot, dry summer day, Pajaro's main street is bustling with traffic. Businesses are open. The flood feels like a distant memory. But just like for the Garcias, much of the community is still struggling to return to normal. The Pajaro Middle School remains closed. So is the public library. Here and there, cars covered in grime sit on the roadside. Residents say the vehicles were abandoned after the flood. Six months later, they're lingering reminders of the lives that were upended. For Michelle Keith, the disaster that started the night of March 10th has felt relentless.
4: My mom and dad lost everything on the lower half of the house. They were there 25 years.
3: Keith lived with her parents until the flood forced them to evacuate. She still doesn't have a permanent place to live.
4: I mean, how am I supposed to work and be stressed out about a place to stay? I've never, you know, like, I'm not going to, I don't know, it's just been so upsetting.
3: She stayed at the Roadway Inn in Watsonville for months, alongside dozens of other displaced Pajaro residents. It was temporary housing paid for by Monterey County, a program the county says helped more than 200 people. It ended last month, though. More than 60 people were still living at the hotel, including Keith. The county offered to put them up at a hotel in Marina more than 20 minutes away, but the distance from Pajaro meant many couldn't make the move, even as housing challenges continued.
4: I mean, the cost of living is so high.
3: Monica Chavez Gonzalez is a case manager at Community Bridges, a local nonprofit that's working to rehouse residents. She says returning home or finding another rental is too expensive for a lot of people.
5: People want double
4: the rent that a security deposit takes about $10,000 just to get into a place.
3: And she says on top of that, many people lost their jobs because of the flooding. Pajaro is a farming community. The fields that surround it were damaged by the floods and out of commission for months. Strawberries, a major Pajaro Valley crop, were hit the hardest. For now, federal and state support is bolstering recovery. In June, Governor Newsom carved out $20 million of the state's budget specifically to support Pajaro. But how exactly will that money be spent?
5: Literally the million dollar question, right?
3: Vicente Lara works for Monterey County. He's part of a task force that's developing a long-term recovery plan for Pajaro. He says they're working with community members to figure out how to spend the money.
6: Recognizing that, you know, we're not all at the same place and we really have to support, especially those residents who are still struggling, in any way we can.
3: Lada says the task force expects to have recommendations for the county supervisors within 6 to 12 months. Meanwhile, residents like Tomas Garcia are racing to finish repairs before winter. That's why we want now try to finish this to make the house a little bit more secure. This isn't the first time the Garcia's home is flooded. The levee breached in 1995. Back then, Garcia's father repaired the house himself. Today, he sits in a chair in their empty living room. A tank of oxygen helps him breathe. He's dealt with serious health problems lately and Garcia believes the disaster has made his condition worse. The situation, the stress and the pressure, a lot of things combined you know, puts pressure to his heart. And now, yeah, yeah, now, but he's trying to to survive and move forward and try to be with us a little bit more time. Garcia says his family discussed moving away from Pajaro, finding a fresh start somewhere else. But this is their home. His father wants to spend his time here. So Garcia says they'll keep rebuilding, just as they did before. And, like the rest of Pajaro, hope the levee holds this winter. For the California Report, I'm Jeremiah Edding in Pajaro.
1: Another community still trying to pick up the pieces from this past winter storms is Capitola in Santa Cruz County. The city's iconic wharf was literally torn apart by the rain and pounding waves. But now, according to Capitola's Public Works Director Jessica Kahn, repair work is about to begin next week.
4: While we're doing the repairs, we're also making it wider and putting more piles um, underneath, supporting the structure in hopes of this kind of damage not happening in the future.
1: The project will cost more than $7 million and includes both federal and state funding.
4: Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple, in stores or delivered from hintwater.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration, and discovery, on the web at SchmidtOcean.org.
1: And that's the California Report for Monday, September 18th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening, and see you tomorrow. Up ahead, National Native News looks
0: into what's being done to address a concern that's all too familiar with much of our listening area. Wildfire smoke seeps through any available crevice on the Nez Perce Reservation in north-central Idaho. Rachel Cohen has more on this story.
4: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. On the Nez Perce Reservation in north-central Idaho, wildfire smoke often pollutes the air. It can also seep into homes, so the tribe is handing out about 250 air cleaners to elders and others with health problems. Rachel Cohen of the Mountain West News Bureau reports.
6: On a recent Thursday, John Abulafentis of the tribe's air quality department was off to set up one of the air cleaners. She stopped in at the apartment of Elder Florine Davis. Well, did that turn it off? Nope, it's that you have it on low now. Davis is 91. She mentors kids and college students in Nimi Putimt, the Nez Perce language.
0: You'll be like a young girl, hair flying through your hair. <laughs> yeah.
6: Davis says earlier this summer she was traveling to a doctor's appointment in Washington state. Smoke was drifting down from British Columbia. We could feel it, notice in the air was a little a more heavy. This Nesper's program is innovative and aims to protect people from wildfire smoke indoors. Erin McTeague with the EPA says tribal efforts like this are being replicated elsewhere. Some of these reservations are highly impacted by smoke, um, have lots of forested land that they're trying to manage, have a lot of vulnerable individuals. And moving away is not an option.
3: Whether people like it or not, this is this is our home.
6: Aaron Miles is the director of natural resources for the Nez Perce tribe, which was forcibly removed off most of its homelands. He says the U.S. government has an obligation to ensure clean air for the tribe. At the same time,
3: the tribal government does everything it, it, it can to protect our people.
6: That includes programs like this one to ensure indoor spaces are healthy. It's been smoky a few times since the air purifier has been running in Davis's living room. She's noticed its button turn red as it's detected poor air quality and then started running its fans more intensely. She's glad to have it with her, keeping the air clean. I'm Rachel Cohen.
4: More processing and tribal meat inspection. That's what officials who are tasked with getting bison into Native communities say are needed in the next farm bill. South Dakota Public Broadcasting's Lee Strubinger has more.
2: Troy Heinert is the executive director of the Intertribal Buffalo Council. He says tribal entities need to be a part of the farm bill conversation.
5: You know, oftentimes we're either an afterthought or we're completely neglected in in some of those decisions. Heinert says that's shifting.
2: The former South Dakota Democratic state lawmaker says he's seeing federal farm bill language getting drafted to help meet the needs for buffalo processing.
5: There's such a bottleneck in processing anyway, and then when you start talking tribes and rural nature and then uh, then buffalo on top of it uh, you know those processing ca- capabilities drop off even further
2: the group works with 83 tribes across 22 states that manage over 25,000 buffalo they expect to have relocated over 5,000 surplus buffalo to tribes in the last three years. Heinert, who is Suchango Lakota from Rosebud, says tribes are asking the USDA to work with
5: them on meat inspection as well. There's no processing, and there's definitely no inspectors. So why shouldn't we be able to train our own people to inspect uh, tribal meat or tribal-produced meat, and then for distribution to either our tribal membership or put it on the retail market if that's what the tribe chooses to do.
2: Many expect the current farm bill to get extended. South Dakota's U.S. senators hope a new farm bill will get passed by the end of the year. However, Congress must craft a budget by September 30th to avert a government shutdown. I'm Lee Strubinger.
4: And Diamantonia Antonia Gonzalez.
5: National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the National Indian Education Association's 54th Convention and Trade Show held in Albuquerque starting October 18th. Education Sovereignty, it begins with us. Registration ends October 13th at NIEA.org. Ready to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help with advice and resources. See what SBA can do for you. Go to sba.gov start. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.
0: Now let's take a look at your local news. On Friday, Rob Tucker announced his campaign for the Nevada County Board of Supervisors District 2 election in March 2024. Tucker, who grew up in Nevada County, currently lives in South Nevada County with his family. A press release from his campaign says Tucker served as president and CEO of a family business which owned Forest Springs Mobile Home Community before selling the business in 2020. In the press release, Tucker says, quote, Running a local business exposes you to the many challenges facing other small businesses, families, and property owners here in California. High taxes, burdensome regulation, the threat of wildfires and property insurance cancellations, and ill-conceived government policies, to name a few. If elected, Tucker lists housing, public safety and emergency preparedness, maintaining a high quality of life through well-planned growth and agriculture, and supporting small businesses and economic development as his top priorities. Sue Horn and Dan Miller are two local elected officials Tucker says he admires and who he acknowledges are key influences on his campaign. District 2 is currently represented by Supervisor Ed Schofield, whose fourth term ends December 2024. Schofield was first elected to the Nevada County Board of Supervisors in 2009. District 2 includes Alta Sierra, Lake of the Pines, and the unincorporated areas along Highway 49. The California Department of Transportation is reminding drivers of lane closures and delays along I-80, as emergency repair work continues in both Placer and Nevada counties. Most of the work will take place between now and Friday, September 22nd beginning in the evening around 7 p.m. and continuing through the night until 7 a.m. Drivers should expect delays in both directions, with a maximum delay of up to two hours during peak traffic if traveling through construction areas. The extensive emergency repairs began after Caltrans performed a review of the I-80 corridor earlier this year and found an unprecedented amount of damage. The report states, several areas exhibit moderate to high levels of rutting due to chain wear and need immediate repair. The list of specific work sites is extensive and can be found by clicking the Interstate 80 Emergency Repairs Weekly Update link on the Caltrans District 3 webpage under District 3 News. Now let's take a look at your local forecast from the National Weather Service. A cooling trend continues today with chances of showers and thunderstorms over the mountains through Friday. There will be periods of gusty winds, especially in the Delta, and over higher terrain. Come Wednesday, you may see an increase in showers and isolated thunderstorm coverage from Redding to Tahoe, moving down the Sierra through Thursday. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 54 degrees. Tuesday, sunny with some calm wind and a high near 78. Tuesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 55 degrees. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms before 8 p.m. Areas of fog after 2 p.m., otherwise mostly clear with a low around 42 degrees. Tuesday, areas of fog before 9 a.m., otherwise sunny with a high near 73. Tuesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 41 degrees. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, clear with a low around 58 degrees. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 84. Tuesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 58 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Up ahead, KVMR's Felton Pruitt gets the details on this Saturday's annual South Yuba River Citizens League cleanup. Stay tuned to hear what interesting items were hauled out of the Yuba River in years past and how you can join this year's cleanup effort.
7: We're talking with Maddie Davis. She's the Community Engagement Manager for Circle, the South Yuba River Citizens League, and they're going to have their 26th annual river cleanup coming up on Saturday, September 23rd. Thanks for joining us, Maddie.
4: Thank you so much for having me, Felton. Really appreciate it.
7: I think the first time I did this interview was in 2010, which would have been about your 10th annual. Now you're at the 26th annual River Cleanup. This is a beautiful thing that Circle does for our wonderful South Yuba River.
4: Wow, fantastic. Well, you've been hearing about it over the years, and I just feel so honored to be a part of planning such a huge community event. It's been Really an honor to see the power of volunteer hours over the years and and how much we can support a cleaner Yuba River.
7: So let's give everybody the whole lowdown on what this is.
4: Certainly, yes. So this is our 26th annual Yuba River cleanup, and on Saturday, September 23rd from 9 a.m. to noon, we'll be at over 30 sites throughout Nevada County, Placer County, Yuba County, and I believe we have one or two sites in Sierra County as well, cleaning up uh, trash, having some restoration at sites where we remove invasive plant species. And then uh, we'll collect the data of all the trash that we have collected, haul it on out of the areas. And then we will also be having a volunteer appreciation party at Pioneer Park um, from 12 to 3 to celebrate everyone's accomplishments. So, really, looking forward to that, it'll be a full day of hard work, and then hopefully uh lots of fun to follow
7: and that's all on saturday september twenty third How much trash did you guys pull out of the rivers last year?
4: Yes, I believe it was it's definitely over ten thousand pounds. I think it was something around like ten thousand six hundred and seven pounds, and I just was looking at the numbers yesterday. we've pulled out over a hundred and thirty five tons over the last twenty five years, so it feels. Amazing what we've accomplished as a community.
7: What was the funniest thing you pulled out last year?
4: Oh, my goodness. I remember seeing some of the things that folks brought back, and some of the vintage toys were toys I had never seen before or heard of, and um, it looked like they had probably been around in the watershed for, you know, 25, 30 years.
7: It's a wonderful thing that Circle does to clean it up, but is there any projects that go out to educate people not to create this mess in the first place?
4: Yes, certainly. Thank you so much. We have the River Ambassador Program, which is one of our um, kind of proactive public education programs, and it takes place for 15 weeks throughout the summer from uh, Memorial Day weekend to Labor Day weekend. And that's where we go out from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., and we talk with river visitors and locals about how to be the best river steward that they can be by packing it in, packing it out, leaving no trace, but also um, provide that kind of public safety information about, um, you know, what to look out for when they're swimming and uh, how to, you know, avoid poison oak and just be safe on trails. So this has been a a great way that we've been addressing um, trying to, you know, talk with folks first and keep the trash out of the watershed in the first place.
7: The 26th Annual River Cleanup sponsored by Circle is coming up Saturday, September 23rd. Give folks the a website where they can get more information.
4: Absolutely, yes. They can find more information at yubariver.org. And uh, feel free to call our office to 530-265-5961.
7: That's Maddie Davis. She's the Community Engagement Manager for Circle. Thanks for what you guys do for us.
4: Thank you so much, Felton. So grateful for KVMR and all the wonderful listeners out there that's our newscast for
0: monday september 18th listen to anything you may have missed at our website kvmr.org and connect with us on facebook and instagram kvmr gets support from generous listeners like you and four paws animal clinic dr susan murphy and sue lester and staff are proud to support kvmr providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions. On Searles Avenue, Nevada City, 4pawsac.com. And South Yuba Club, offering over 100 classes weekly, including cycling, yoga, swim, pickleball, senior classes, and more, located in Grass Valley at 130 West Berry Hill Drive. More information online at southyubaclub.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.